All right, we are uh, one Sunday away from finishing the book of James. Next week will be our last Sunday in the book of James. And I just wanted to mention uh, in October, we're going to do a four-week series on the Holy Spirit. And we're going to examine who he is in our life, how he operates in the church, how he operates in our own life. And on the 30th of uh, October is a fifth Sunday. And so we'll have our kids in with us. That's our family Sunday. We'll have our kids here. And we're going to be dealing with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what that means and what that looks like and how to receive the baptism. And I'm believing God, and I want to ask you to pray with me, believing God that many of our children and our youth and even some of you old people uh, will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit or be refilled with the baptism. Would you pray with me about about that whole series? Just that the Lord would show us what he wants us to be and excited about that. But we're going to finish James. And so today we are in James chapter five. We're going to start in verse 13 in just a moment. Let me ask you a, uh, a rhetorical question. How many of you would categorize yourself as a worrier? You don't have to raise your hand, just that you're, you are a worrier and whatever happens, your first response generally is anxiety. How's it? Yeah, how many of you that's you? Just be honest. Just 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 be honest. It, yeah, okay, good. So the Bible's got some good advice for you. Are you ready? We're gonna start Philippians chapter four. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petition and praises, and I want you to notice how those go together. Did you notice that? Not just petitions, not just asking God but also praises, not just praises, but also petitions. We worship God for who he is, and because of who he is, we ask God to respond to what he said, who he said he was. Are you with me? So pretty much for every week for the book, through the book of James, I've written you a prayer model every week. And in that, you will see that we praise God, we, we praise him, and then we petition him based on what he's shown us. That's what the, the, uh, the Apostle Paul is telling us, let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Tell God how you feel. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good. How many of you believe that God wants to work everything in your life for the good of those who love him? Do you believe that? It's like six-tenths of you. I hope you believe it. Oh, Adora Pusey, also a member. Where's Adora? Thank you, Phil. She was on my list. Oh, and Brian Snyder. I totally missed two people. Forgive me. Welcome, Brian. (laughs) That is my fault. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. I want you you to notice what he didn't say. Peace. Or a sense like peace replaces worry. Or comfort replaces worry. What did he say? Who, Who replaces worry? That was a real question. Who replaces worry? Christ replaces worry. The only way for you to turn worries into prayers is to put Jesus on the throne of your heart. That's the only way to do it. I want to be a prayer in my life, not a worrier. How many of you want to be a prayer, not a worrier? 
But here's the thing. I don't want to just pray weak little prayers. I don't want to pray wimpy prayers. I don't want to pay. I don't even know if this is a real thing, but I don't want to pray mammy-pamby prayers. I want to pray, not your will, God, but mine. But not, I don't want to pray, not your will, God, but mine be done. How many of you know that leads to disappointment? I don't want to ask for peace or comfort instead of asking for Jesus. I don't want to expect God to remove all the suffering and difficulty from my life because I got news for you. If you read the book, he doesn't do that. And I don't want to be... Expect God to suddenly become a microwave God when he's a crockpot God, wanting everything right now. I want to pray so that the hand of God moves in situations. I want to pray so I find myself in the middle of what God is doing, not on the outside or the peripheral, looking in, jealous of what God is doing in other people's lives. I want to be smack dab in the middle. How many of you are with me on that one? I want to pray so darkness is dispelled by all the light of God that comes through me and others that I do life with in the world. I want to pray those kinds of prayers. Don't you? I call those prayers prevailing prayers. Prayers that change everything. So what kind of prayers become prevailing prayers? What does God use? What kind of prayers move the hand of God? I've got four things for you from James chapter five. What kind of prayers move the hand of God? Verse, verse 13, are any of you suffering hardship? We won't, we won't ask you to raise your hand, but are any, anybody in the room suffering hardship right now? You should pray. Anybody happy? Prove it. I mean, like, come on. You should sing praises if you're happy. Are any of you sick? Don't, you don't have to shout for that one. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. What's the first kind of prayer that God honors? Prayer that is yielded to his will. Prayer that is yielded to the will of God. I don't know about you, but when I come to God, I will often start by praying my preferences. Don't you do that. Jesus, touch my heel. Like my heel hurts. Touch my heel, because my heel actually hurts. Touch my heel. Or help this situation, and God, here's what I need you to say to my wife. Or God, here's what I want you to do in my kids, my kids' family. What, well, we begin these prayers by, by petitioning and saying those things to God. And there's nothing wrong with that. If at the end of it, like Jesus, we say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What did Jesus say in the garden? Lord, let this cup pass from me. Surely, oh God, there's a different way. You ever say that to the Lord? Like, surely, Lord, whatever you're doing in my life, there must be a better way than this one. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Prayer that God, that moves the hand of God is a prayer that's yielded to his will. And, and I love, the, it's, it's really similar to Paul, the way that uh, James puts these two opposite sides together in verse 13. He says, hey, some of you are suffering. Some of you are happy. Some of you are sick. Some of you are distressed. Some of you are hurting. Some of you are full of joy. Some of you are walking through darkness. You know, that whole Psalm 23 thing, sometimes we walk through darkness it's true. 
See, God's will will always contain periods of darkness and periods of joy, times of hardship and suffering, and then times of happiness and peace. I mean, that's the way of serving God. There's no other way. Friends, if you thought you could come to Jesus and everything in your life would just be roses and, and what is it, raindrops and roses? I don't know, whatever, whatever, just going to be amazing. And wow, this is, God's just going to go, all these things. And you thought you'd never actually have to like go through difficulty. You signed up for the wrong thing. You signed up for an Americanized version of Christianity that does not exist. In fact, the church fathers years ago, and maybe you've heard this before, but our church fathers, those that led the church in the early days would say things like this, suffering is the natural or the normal or the normative path of a disciple. How do you learn obedience? How do you learn discipleship? By suffering. You realize that Hebrews said to us about Jesus that Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. That makes no sense to me for the son of God to have to learn obedience. But if Jesus had to learn obedience, won't we? And it comes through suffering. When we pray, yielded to the will of God, he begins to move in our life. And so in hardship, we don't complain. We don't kvetch. That's a real word. We don't get angry. We pray. Is anyone in hardship? Pray. Don't grumble and complain about the lot that God has put in your life. Instead, pray. In happiness, in joy, we don't gloat. We don't brag. We don't show people our giving statements. We don't get haughty. We don't let pride come in and think how awesome we are in the, in the eyes of God. No, we turn all that into praise because it's only by his grace that you got any of it. Amen? In sickness... We don't mope, we don't give up, and we don't isolate. And when his answer is delayed, we don't turn our back on the Lord and get angry at him for not being the God who said that he healed but doesn't heal. Instead, we press in, we push forward, we allow our faith and God to speak to our hearts so that we can grow in whatever ways he's trying to lead us. When prevailing prayers are prayers which move the hand of God, are prayers that are prayed, number one, yielded to his will. Number two, prayers that move the hand of God are prayers prayed with faith. Verse 15, James says, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. This is really important. Here's, what I, here's why it's important. It's important to recognize faith moves God's hand to heal. But faith itself doesn't heal anybody. I, mean, I want to say that because here, here's why. There's been a misnomer, especially in the Pentecostal church, that said, well, God would have healed you if you'd had more faith. Your faith doesn't heal anybody. Your faith moves God's hand to the situation. Your faith, if you will, inspires the Lord to move on your behalf or someone, else, someone else's behalf. It is a major factor in prevailing, prevailing prayer. Faith heals the sick. Faith heals the broken. Faith leads the, Lord, the Lord's hand to heal the wounded. It, I believe that faith can move God's hand to rewire your brain. And I know that because 
When you love kids that come from trauma whose wiring has been messed up and you see God through time heal that wiring, I know God can rewire a brain. Don't you dare doubt that God can do that. Faith can mend relationships. And again, it pushes the hand of God. It moves God's hand. When, when, Jesus, when Jesus would heal people, he would say to them, your faith has moved me. Your faith is what has moved me to heal. It sets you free. It's made you whole because you believed that when I spoke the word, it would happen. I mean, how many of you know faith's a big deal? It's a big deal to have faith in God. The kinds of prayers that move the hand of God are prayers prayed in faith. Faith moves God's hand, and he can do anything when prayers are prayed with mustard seed faith. So what is faith? What does that mean to have faith? Is it just believing? Well, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says faith, faith, is, uh, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. In other words, we see those things that are not as though they were. We see relationships restored even when in the natural we don't see the evidence of that. We see our families walking in health even though in the natural we're still fighting a battle of sickness. We see God coming through in a situation that seems impossible, even though on the outside, that situation is still going on. Faith believes and sees the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Verse 6, without faith, you can't even please God. Man, without faith, you can't even please God because anyone who wants to come to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is believing that circumstances will change. I love the story of Rakshak and Benny in the Old Testament. And Rakshak and Benny went into the fiery furnace and they said to Nebi, King Nebi, they said, <laughs> they said, King Nebi, we cannot bow to you or to your bunny. We cannot do it. The bunny, the bunny, oh, I love the Okay, never mind. We're way off track. And what they said was really inspiring. They said this. They said, oh, king, we know, we know that our God can deliver us. How many of you know God can? But then they said something that I find very interesting. They said, not only do we know he can, we know he will. Friends, that's faith. Faith is, no, is moving beyond God can to a knowing and an understanding and a belief that he will. That's a powerful thought that happened in that great VeggieTales story. Faith, faith is believing that God will heal. Faith is believing that God is sovereign and that everything's working together for our good. Faith is believing God is moved by those who sincerely seek him and he rewards. Faith is knowing not only that God can do something, but also that he will. I have a question for you. What do you need from God today? And you're like, hmm, I think everything's good. But if Jesus walked in the room and stood right at this altar and he said to you, whatever you need from me, you come and ask and I'll give it to you. How many of you would come up with something you need from God? Do you realize that's exactly what he's saying? What do you need from me? What do you need from the Lord this morning? What circumstance do you need to shift in your life? What needs to happen in your heart or in your family or in a circumstance or financial or whatever? What, what do you need from God today? He said, if you come and ask and don't doubt in your heart, go back to point number one, if it's in his will, it's yours. 
That's, so like, probably don't come ask for a Lamborghini. <laughs> or, or, or maybe to win the Powerball. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that God answers those prayers because it's probably not in his will. But if you come asking for restoration or healing or provision or power or anointing or to have a sense of your calling or to know what God has for you or how to give your life more fully to the Lord, how many of you know he's going to answer prayers like that? Because that's the kind of God he is. What do you need from God today? If you ask in faith, he'll meet you. Prevailing prayer, which moves the hand of God, is prayers filled with faith. Number three. Not only do we have to ask yielded to his will, we've got to pray in faith. Third, we've got to pray with a clean heart. With a clean heart. Verse 15, and if you have committed any sins, how many of you have sinned recently? Like this morning. <laughs> You'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. Do you see the connection between confessing and healing? It's a big deal to pray to God, to come to God with a clean heart. It requires introspection. It requires a, a little self-looking around of our own soul and our own heart. But it also requires the Holy Spirit to have opportunity to look around in our heart. It's why when we do communion, one of the things we're supposed to do is ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything in, in me that has separated you from me? Is there anything that I've allowed in my life that's causing conflict or enmity between me and God? The Holy Spirit, John 16 tells us, is the great convictor. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no conviction of sin. And so when you come to God, no matter what you're coming to God for, it's the very first prayer that you pray. Father, cleanse my soul. Father, let there be no wicked way in me. Father, let there be nothing of hindrance between you and me. A clean heart before God ensures that nothing will hinder your prayer. James mentions here the power of confession. It's something that we've overall lost in Western Christianity. I think that we've become very good and comfortable at, at confessing our sin to God, and we do, and I believe that probably 98% of the folks in this room, you confess your sin to God, and you tell God when you've messed up, you tell him, and man, I'm, I'm a knothead, and I'm sorry, and whatever. But James is pretty clear here that this power of confession extends to confessing our sins one to another. Well, now we just went into a whole new realm I mean, you realize that we live in a culture of posers. We live in a culture where everybody on the outside wants to look a certain way and act a certain way and be viewed a certain way and, you know, have a certain number of whatever, likes and love, hearts, whatever. You know, most people live with a facade, but nobody knows the real you. And because we live with those walls up between us and other people, you can only see the parts of me that I let you see. You're never going to see the interior parts. I believe this. Listen carefully. You can disagree with me, but I think this is what James is saying. Because we fail to confess our sin, we fail to go, yeah, I really screwed that up. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Because we fail to confess it, we live in bondage. We live in generational slavery. And we live with sickness and disease. And it's not that you've not confessed it to God. It's that that didn't work, if you will. Why didn't it work? Because God is trying to say to you, you need a brother or a sister, somebody you trust to walk with you. 
It's not enough to just have that confession with God for some things in our life, but there are other things. I'm not saying everything. I'm saying the things that hang on. Now, if we took a poll right now, how many of you have a thing in your life, a sin, a thing, a, a struggle that has hung on into your life after you confessed your sin and became a Christian? I don't think he's talking about people that aren't saved. I think he's talking about Christians. In my experience, and this goes for pastors and leaders as well, that we give our way to things and we, we live in slavery and bondage. And one of the main reasons is because we have not chosen to have courage and talk with another brother or sister that we trust that loves us and we love them about the things that we're walking through. And James is saying, look, if you'll do that, you can be healed. I'm not saying it'll be instantaneously I'm not saying you won't still have to battle. I'm not saying it won't be a struggle to, to, get, to, to actually live in victory over those things that have hung on from your old life. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you can be free if you come with the will of God and full of faith and confessing your sin to others so that he can forgive you so your heart can be clean. God can and will set you free. It may be a journey. For some people, it is instantaneous. Anybody been instantly set free from something that God, that you had in your life, just, in, just instantly? Like I've always asked God, God, why do some people come down who have, you know, they're alcoholics, let's just say, and they come to the altar, and man, just in that moment, God sets them free, and they never touch it again. But other people have to walk a difficult path. Why is that? Well, I have no idea. Because he's sovereign. And because there are other things that he's doing in their life. But here's what I do know. And what I've also noticed, when those people come and they get with a brother and they, or they get with a sister and they walk together. You just ask Amy about this. Amy, uh, Amy, Amy Brinkley, is that right? I think that's right. You ask, I just immediately questioned in my own head what my brain was saying. <laughs> you ask about people that are recovering. They do it better when they walk with people. When you sit at home and nobody knows and nobody sees and nobody is with you in the struggle, it can be a long, dark and lonely place. James is saying, listen, if you want to pray prevailing prayers, you've got to pray uh, with a clean heart. Does it mean that unconfessed sin can keep you from healing? I think it does. I think it does. Faith certainly moves the hand of God to heal you. Jesus said over and over, your faith has healed you. But sin, unconfessed sin, habitual sin, sin that hangs on, that you don't deal with, you don't confess to others, you don't walk with a brother or sister, can certainly keep you from being healed. How, do, how can I prove that? John chapter 5, Jesus heals a lame man, and he, at the end of that story, he goes and he finds the lame man, and he says, wow, you're healed. What a great thing. And and everything's wonderful, but then Jesus says this, you better go and sin no more. You go and sin no more because if you keep on sinning, this is what it says, something worse may happen to you. What? Can sin keep you from the blessings and the power and the grace of God? Absolutely. Unconfessed sin will destroy your life. I don't know who this is for this morning, but unconfessed sin will destroy your life. Second Peter chapter two, for you, for you are a slave to whatever has mastered you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing the Lord, but then become again entangled in it and enslaved by sin, they are worse off at the end than at the beginning. I mean, this is wild, verse 20, if you've never heard this before, verse 21. It would have been better if they'd never known the way of righteousness 
It would have been better if you'd never been saved than to know it and to live in slavery to sin again. Unconfessed sin will destroy your life, but confessed sin opens the door for his blessing. If you openly, Romans 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. It releases the presence and the power of God in your life. I don't know what else to say. If you want something from God or you need something from God, you have to come and get right with God and make peace with God and gain salvation. You have to gain liberty. Jesus needs to be the center of your life. He needs to be the center of your marriage, the center of your entertainment, the center of your thoughts, the center of your speech, the center of your everything. See, Jesus doesn't just want a piece of you. He wants all of you. And if you want something from God this morning, you're going to have an opportunity in just a few moments if you want something from God this morning, you've got to come with a clean heart. Lastly, I'll say this. You've got to submit to the will of God. You've got to pray in faith. You've got to pray with a clean heart. And lastly, you've got to pray persistently. Persistently. Verse 17, Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly, there's a word that you need to underline, earnestly, that no rain would fall, none fell. James is saying, guys, he's just a dude. There wasn't anything special about Elijah in, intrinsically. He's just a man, just like you or a woman. He wasn't a woman, he was a man, you know, and he knew that. So, but, you know, if you're a woman, I want to leave you out. He was a human. That was funny. <laughs> He's a, he was a human. There wasn't anything special. I just want you to know, there wasn't anything special. But when he prayed that there'd be no rain, poof, there was no rain for three years. And then when he got bored of that and he prayed for rain, the sky sent down rain on the earth and it yielded its crops. I mean, the only other person I've ever seen in scripture that had the power over the wind and the waves and, and, and nature was Jesus. So what was it about Elijah? Well, he prayed earnestly. He prayed, I believe, he prayed with faith. He knew God would do it. When, I mean, can you imagine being on Mount Carmel and all the altars there and you built the stone and you covered it with water and the whole thing and then you were like, okay, God, um, send down some fire. And not only was the sacrifice consumed and all the water evaporated, but the stones burned up. I mean, that's some faith to believe that God would do that. His faith was built on a relationship with God of obedience and holiness. When God told him what to do, he obeyed, and he lived a life that was holy to the Lord, set apart. And last, he was persistent, persistent in his prayer. What have you been praying for for a really, really long time, but the answer has been delayed have you given up? Have you been tempted to give up? Have you started to walk away and wonder if God would come through for you the way that he's promised? I just want you to know that in my life I've been there before. I've been at a place in my life where I asked God to do something in my life and it was petty and he didn't do it and I was disappointed and I was frustrated and I was angry. 
And for two years, I began, I, I would pray for people, you know, for God to do things in their life. But in my heart, I didn't really believe that God was who he said he was. You say you're a healer, God, but you don't heal. You say you're a deliverer, but you don't deliver. You say you're a protector, but you don't protect. And for two years, I wandered around in this dark and desolate place, wondering if God was who he said he was. Here's what happened to me and will happen to you if you ever find yourself there. Something in our, when we, when we give up, something in our frustration, in our, in our trust or in our faith in God's ability to do the supernatural begins to die. Our heart begins on a road of bitterness and anger towards God. We begin to blame God for everything in our life and we certainly don't bless him for the, for the good things that he does. We begin to give the enemy a foothold and he sets in for the kill. In that season of my life was the only time in my life that I truly believed that I was depressed. And I sat in my truck one day and contemplated ending my life. Only for a moment. But I never had that thought before, ever. And what I heard the Holy Spirit whisper to me in that, in that very moment was the devil's coming in for the kill. If you give the enemy a foothold in your life, he'll eventually come in for the kill. And the last thing I think is, is most tragic when we give up is generational spiritual depravity can become a real thing in your family. But the promise of Jesus, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, listen, let this, let this if, if you're there right now, and I just feel this for you. If you're there right now and you've given up and you struggled and you've hurt and you've not seen God move the way you thought, can I just say, keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Jesus said, man, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find it, keep on knocking, and the door will be open for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Don't give up. Don't stop. I know it's hard. I know in the middle of that journey, man, it's painful. You don't know where God is, and you look around, and nothing's there, and you don't feel God, you don't hear God, and you just, you're just lost. But if you keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking, eventually he'll meet you. And he met me. Someday I'll tell you the whole story, but he met me in my shed. And in many ways, I got saved that day. <laughs> what are the results, worship team, if you want to join me, what are the results of prayers offered, yielded to his will, in faith, with a clean heart, and in perseverance. Back to verse 16. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Amen? Isn't that good? Answered prayer. The earnest prayers of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results of answered prayer. Answered prayer reveals the will of God. Answered prayer confirms his sovereignty over your life. 
Answered prayer reorders your priorities so you throw off the things of the world. Answered prayer, wow, increases our faith. We're just setting the mood right now. Answered prayer encourages us to take faith and risk steps. Answered prayer challenges us to the next level. Answered prayer is the result of prevailing prayer. And here's my favorite. It's not rocket scientist, but this. Answered prayer becomes the stuff of legends. Answered prayer are the stories your grandchildren will know and your great-grandchildren will know because of things that God did in your life because you prayed prevailing prayers, yielded to his will, full of faith, with perseverance and with a clean heart. I want to tell my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren about the prayers that God answered in my life. And they will know it and it will build their faith and they will have answered prayer in their life. Amen? Amen. So what do you need from God today? What is it that you've asked him, that you sought him? Go ahead and play something, kids. (laughs) What have you needed God to do in your life? Is there something of salvation? Maybe there's a confession moment that you need to have this morning. Maybe you need something from God in a situation. You need God's hand to move in your life in some way. Or maybe you're just rejoicing in the faithfulness of God. As we sang earlier this morning, how my life you've been faithful and you rejoice in that and you're just at this place of contentment and gratefulness in the things of God. Or maybe you need healing and direction and transformation and you need God just to meet you this morning. I believe there are people here from all across that spectrum. And I want us to practice what James said. He said, look, if you need something from God, call the elders of the church. Let them lay hands on you. Let them pray for you. Let them believe with you for God to move. So I want to invite our prayer teams to come. And they're just going to line up all across this this altar, all, all across the front. No matter where, just don't bunch up, spread out. And I believe this. I believe some of you if you'll activate your faith to believe. I, look, I don't, I don't know why he does it that way. I'm like, why can't you just pray in your chair and God meet you? Well, I'm not saying you can't. But the Bible says if you want a real thing to happen, God to move in a situation, if you'll come and let the elders pray, let them lay hands on you, let them believe God with you, the prayer of faith will move the hand of God. Amen? Do you believe that? Like six of you. Do you believe that? So I want you to stand with me all over the room. We're going to sing this song here in just a moment. But if you need something from God today, I don't care if it's salvation or healing or transformation or just a situation that needs to change in your life, whatever it is, if you need something from God today, as we begin to sing, I want you to make your way to one of these wonderful people and allow, allow them Be brave, have some guts, and let God move in your life. Holy Spirit, I ask you to draw everyone who needs to come in Jesus' name. Would you come? Come on, if you need prayer for anything at all, anything at all, come and let's pray. Let's ask God to do the miraculous.